This is AgriPulse Open Mic, brought to you by Robo AgriFinance. Robo AgriFinance is a leading provider of financial services for agricultural producers and agribusiness in the United States, adding value with industry expertise, client-focused solutions, and long-term business relationships. This is Open Mic. I'm farm broadcaster Jeff Nally. As the calendar draws the nation closer and closer to the financial cliff, congressional leaders are still divided on issues like tax cuts, entitlement spending, and yes, farm policy. Our guest today is the chairman of the House Agriculture Committee, Oklahoma Congressman Frank Lucas. While he hints at a possible policy extension prior to approval of a new five-year farm bill, he's still unclear when or how new farm policy will be approved. Something's going to happen, Jeff. The question now, I think, becomes is, have we become directly or indirectly or inadvertently, however you want to describe it, uh, the farm bill process become a part of the, uh, the, super, uh, the, uh, the, the fiscal cliff issue? I think with our $35 billion in savings as the House Ag Committee passed version is written, I think for all practical purposes we're part of that. There is not enough oxygen, Jeff, left, uh, political oxygen left in this town for anything, it seems, by the most senior leadership in the House and the Senate and the White House, for anything but discussing the tax code and the sequestration, the automatic cuts. So when uh, some kind of a framework is worked out there, don't be surprised, Jeff, if a farm bill uh, or a farm bill process becomes a part of that. I'm really caught into whether the farm bill would be one big part of an omnibus piece of legislation that would include taxes and budget and spending. And oh, by the way, here's the farm bill from the senator. Here's the farm bill from the House now in a measure, and it's either take it or leave it. Is that a last resort, or is there a time that the House will have a chance ultimately to debate the bill that your committee's put together? While, Jeff, I think it is possible, I think it is highly unlikely that you would see a complete farm bill in some kind of a document uh, before December 31. Now, I will tell you, and our listeners are well aware of, uh, the Senate has passed their version through a committee and across the floor. Uh, in the House, we passed our version across the floor. Uh, we both have complete farm bills that could be ready to go. But there are still some, a couple of fundamental differences while we're very similar on conservation, that's easy. Uh, while we're very similar on the dollar savings and the commodity title, uh, there are some big differences. The Senate passed version uh, has $4 billion in reforms in the uh, nutrition programs. And remember, nutrition's 80% of all farm bill spending right now. In the House, we have $16.5 billion worth of reforms. Uh, that's a little bit of a difference. It's got to be sorted out. In the commodity title, even though we save the same amount of money, the Senate basically um, puts their entire focus of a safety net on what they refer to as a, a revenue assurance program. In the House, we believe that, yes, uh, we, you should have the ability to go uh, revenue assurance uh, kind of insurance kind of program. We also believe there needs to be some kind of a price uh, protection insurance program, too. So we provide an option. So there are a couple big issues there, Jeff, that have to be sorted out. Now, that said, and that makes it difficult to come to a consensus before the end of the year, but if there is a big uh, uh, agreement worked out to prevent uh, everybody's taxes going up on the last day of December, and remember, if nothing happens, the tax code goes back to the year 2000. That means every income tax rate for everyone who pays income taxes, everyone goes up. The number of brackets increase. 
the capital gains rate that you pay on uh, on the on uh, anything that you make on an asset that you've held. Think a tractor, think a farm. Those rates go up. The death tax rate goes up, and the point at which you start taxing an estate goes down, so you pay more on more of your estate. All those things happen. The automatic cuts disproportionately focused on the Department of Defense, uh, essentially avoiding the social welfare programs, kick in. So something's got to happen. Don't be surprised if you see a framework that uh, averts that from happening, but specifies particular mandatory savings in various parts of the government, ag could be one of those, and creates a framework by which uh, then we might complete the Farm Bill. And that also, Jeff, entails some kind of a transition period, call it an extension if you want, but you can't even do a complete farm bill now and have it ready by January 1. There's got to be a way to get to that point. Now you just said a whole lot in that last statement. I know. I'm wound up tight. It's that time of year. Okay, but you, you shared a whole lot in that statement where there might be a framework that would lead to. Flesh that out just a little bit. Well, I'm an eternal optimist. You know that. I wouldn't be a wheat farmer in western Oklahoma if I was an eternal optimist. I believe something has to happen to address the physical cliff. I believe, as uh, the, 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 the Speaker of the House has said, it's not just how you generate new revenue. It's how you make real cuts in mandatory spending. That means that the Farm Bill and a number of other areas are mandatory spending. They'll fall in that category. If you give the House Agriculture Committee, if you give us a specific dollar number, if you give us a specific date to achieve that, if you give us the framework to move a piece of legislation across the floor, uh, we'll be able to hit that. Now, I think whatever the ultimate farm bill is, it's going to look a lot like the House and Senate uh, work product. I prefer the House product. I think every commodity group in every region should be able to participate in the farm bill. I think that's the House version of the bill. But if you give me a definite window of opportunity, if you put me in a big framework, whether it's $35 billion, $23 billion, $45 billion, just give me a hard number and an expedited process, we'll get our work done. Now, I know uh, my ranking member doesn't want to do an extension. I know a lot of the lobbyists here in D.C. don't want to do an extension. I respect them all. But remember, Jeff, uh, I won't always be chairman of the House Agriculture Committee. I won't always be a member of Congress. But I will always be a farmer from western Oklahoma. I'm going to attempt to do the policy that is in the best interest of farmers and ranchers back home in the countryside. And if that entails a transition period, an extension, whatever you want to call it, to ultimately get a good farm bill for the folks out in the countryside, I'm going to do that. I won't always be in this building in D.C., but I will always live in Roger Mills County, Oklahoma. I will always have to look at my neighbors. I will always drive an old tractor. Sorry about the diatribe, but this is very important to me personally. This is not just political theory. It's not just political practice. It's bread and butter back home for the folks. Is that a three-month, a six-month, a one-year extension, or can you measure that yet? I don't think I can measure that yet, but I would say this. Bear in mind, when you step away from the safety net of the last three farm bills, the direct payment program, and you go to uh, uh, a crop revenue uh, insurance program, a price insurance program, USDA has to take the law we pass, write rules and regulations, and get those approved under the, uh, under the proper procedures. 
Then they have to go out and purchase software. They have to train the FSA and the NRCS people to use that software. They've got to explain it to farmers and ranchers. You've got to have sign-up periods. You've got to have implementation. I know there are some folks who are not uh, very enthusiastic about the existing safety net, but, Jeff, I don't want to be a part of a process where we cut off the old safety net on September 30, but the new safety net doesn't take effect until September 30 of next year. I'm not going to have my people, my fellow farmers and ranchers, exposed out there without a safety net, a transition period, uh, uh, extension, whatever you want to call it. If it's a part of getting good policy done in an orderly fashion and protects my people, by that I mean producers out in the countryside all over this great nation, uh, then uh, I think that's the way we go. And hopefully, ultimately, I believe uh, whatever scenario that we have to do, that I'll have the support of my colleagues on the committee, and I would like to think the lobbyists here in town will understand. But remember, they're not the folks I represent. It's the people back home. Let me ask for your observation as we close here, Congressman. There is thought today that if the R side of the aisle would compromise and accept additional taxes, would the D side of the aisle be willing to allow cuts into some major programs like Medicare and Medicaid? What are your observations of the things now that are preventing us from finding this fiscal cliff and the timeline that we have to accomplish it? Jeff, remember the environment we work in. We're now headed into a second two-year term of what we had in the previous two years. Uh, By the definitions of Oklahoma, the uh, conservative House, this will continue into the next session of Congress. By the definitions of uh, Oklahoma, a liberal president, he'll still be president in the next term. Uh, even though the Senate now is 55-45 in the new term of office, if you don't have 60 votes, you can't cut off the unlimited debate, you really don't have control. So what the voters have given us is status quo for two more years. That said, uh, my conservative friends in the House, and the speakers articulated this well, we don't want to raise taxes on anybody because we don't want to put the federal government's hand any deeper in anyone's pocket. But the Speaker has said, new revenue is a part of this. Look at the deductions. uh, Look at those kind of things. Tighten up the tax code. Bring in more money. That's a pretty bold statement. But the President, uh, the Speaker has also said, you've got to reduce spending. You can't tax your way into prosperity. You've got to reduce spending entitlements. That's the House position. The President has said, his perspective is, of course, you need more new revenue. He wants to pick and choose whose taxes he raises and whose he doesn't. Uh, That's different than the perspective in the House. He wants to pick and choose. Uh, And so far, at least publicly, his uh, fellow uh, Democrats are pushing back on the entitlement reforms. Uh, Some kind of an understanding has to come out of this. But there are those, Jeff. There are those super liberals I serve with who look at this situation and say, aha, biggest tax increase in the history of the world if we do nothing. Lots of new revenue coming into the Treasury that we can then spend. At the same time, because social welfare is essentially protected from the automatic cut sequestration, we'll cut defense spending and we'll cut the things we don't care about. More money for us to spend, less money on defense and infrastructure. Aha! So you've got a group up here who wants to go over the cliff. So bear that in mind. Not everybody is as concerned, as frightened as I am about what the consequences will be There are actually those who want to jump off the cliff, and that adds to the confusion of the status quo. 
And somewhere in the midst of that melee is the landscape at which we write a farm bill. The landscape with which we write a farm bill. Exactly. Our guest today has been Chairman of the House Agriculture Committee, Honorable Oklahoma Congressman Frank Lucas. This edition of Open Mic has been brought to you by Robo AgriFinance. Robo AgriFinance is a leading provider of financial services for agricultural producers and agribusiness in the United States, adding value with industry expertise, client-focused solutions, and long-term business relationships. The Robo AgriFinance nationwide network of relationship managers, insurance, and risk management specialists offer a comprehensive suite of services, including loans, crop insurance, and sophisticated risk management products, such as interest rate and commodity swaps. Robo AgriFinance is a division of Robobank, the premier bank to the global agriculture industry and one of the world's highest rated privately held banks. For more information, contact Robo AgriFinance at 888-722-7766 or visit us online at RoboAg.com. I'm Jeff Daly for AgriPulse.